0: Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. From feeding the planet junk DNA to the humble grain of rice. Now rice has helped feed the planet for millennia, but what turned the wild rice plants into a domesticated crop capable of supporting over 3 billion people on Earth? A lot of interesting science. And scientists have finally figured out what parts of the rice genome has been contributing to this. Plus, some ways we can harness the powers of rice genomes to improve yields. Now, we talk a lot on this podcast about feeding the planet. Because feeding a civilization has long defined, the effectively, the carrying capacity of a civilization. It means if the yields are good from their crops... A particularly good environment and a good conditions for a civilization or a peoples to flourish they will and they'll expand and grow but then if the climate changes if there's changes to their environment or their crops or for some reason they can't distribute and manage their food well that civilizations tend to struggle decline change in shape migrate or even fade away and disperse into the back into the environment that they came from and emerge later on as a new peoples potentially and this has happened over millennia across the world in all different regions but one of the things that sort of enabled human civilization to really reach such great heights and we're talking about a planet now that's approaching seven billion people uh, projected to get more and more the ability of our planet to feed itself is incredibly important and that's why we will return again and again to this very question and topic and as our climate changes the ability to feed ourselves becomes more and more difficult now one of the megacrops that has enabled the planet to feed itself over such a long period of time, especially during the Green Revolution in the 1960s, which really saw the, not eradication, but the avoidance of famine and the ability of countries in the subcontinent and in Asia to feed themselves efficiently and cheaply, has been work done to understand and produce better rice yields. Now, rice as a staple crop feeds a significant portion of the planet, pretty much alone could be considered the major staple crop of the entire planet, depending on where you look. But the problem with rice is that we've been domesticating it for centuries and millennia, turning it from the wild grains of rice that you see growing into the fat, fluffy grains of rice that we can eat and survive off so well. Now, domestication of rice is the story of civilization for the most part, but trying to understand why... The domestication of rice has worked and what parts of the rice genome have actually led to its ability to produce fatter seed grains with higher starch content there's been somewhat of a mystery now in astrophysics terms we have this concept of dark matter and dark energy we can see for example a lot of the matter in the universe but we only actually when you think about it can only explain a small portion of it the rest of it we subscribe, and it's over 70%, is to some combination of dark matter and dark energy. We know it's there, we know it has to be there, we know it has to do something, but what it is and how it works, we just don't know. And when it comes to the rice grain DNA, scientists have been struggling with exactly the same concept. Now, rice was one of the very first plants to actually be fully sequenced, having its genome, that is, and scientists have been trying to figure out exactly what makes domesticated rice so good compared to its wild cousins. Because when analyzing that sequenced genome, the sequence genes that we understood, well, we couldn't see any real difference between them and the domesticated rice. So there had to be some secret there, but not in anything that we, we understood. And that's because when you sequence a genome, there's actually huge portions of it that were considered junk DNA. And that idea, this concept of junk DNA has persisted for a long time, but it's not a real concept. A lot of the times junk DNA is actually just parts of the DNA sequence or maybe RNA or long long non-coding chains of RNA that we just either don't understand their exact function right now or don't have a good way to sequence and image them. And this is one of the big things of genetic studies. Trying to understand what all of those roles, all of those pieces of DNA and RNA floating around do is incredibly complicated. And it's taken some great studies published recently in the journal Science Advances involving researchers from, in crop sciences from the Chinese Academy of Agricultural Sciences, as well as researchers from Washington University in St. Louis. Now, they've been collaborating to try and figure out exactly what's going on in the rice genome, especially compared to domesticated rice to wild rice, and solve this mystery of these genes that are making domesticated rice so much better than wild rice. And they have done this by actually investigating what was long been dismissed as junk DNA and showing that some of this junk DNA plays an incredibly essential role in Forming these key characteristics of rice that have enabled it to feed the planet. So, what exactly did they look at and how exactly did they accomplish it? We're going to dive into that detail right now. Genomic studies typically use one defining trait, and then they edit some genes to see if they can reproduce, or enhance, or remove that trait. And from that, you actually be able to identify which parts of the genomes control which key traits. Whether that be yield, or resistance to a certain type of disease, or you name it. These kind of traits are what genomics is about studying. But the problem is, for the long time that we've been studying in detail the rice fully-sequenced genome, we have tended to go after the low-hanging fruit, simple traits that were controlled by just one or two genes with easily identifiable mutations. But when there's a lot more subtle developmental changes, and this is what has happened as the process of crop domestication, trying to analyse those and figure out which parts of the genome is actually directly contributing to that is quite difficult, mostly because it may not be one single gene. Especially because a large proportion of the DNA in the chromosomes of many plants and animals have genes that don't encode instructions for making proteins. And that's up to about 90% of a genome for any given species. Now this genetic information is poorly understood and often dismissed as junk DNA just because it doesn't encode instructions for making proteins. But there's plenty of things that these genes are actually responsible for. And in this study, the researchers have been investigating the change that occurred from wild rice to domesticated rice. And what they've been looking at is an oft-overlooked part of the rice genome, all the way to look at these molecules called long non-coding RNAs, or LNC RNAs. Basically, they're a type of RNA molecules with huge numbers of nucleotides in them, about 200 now when they look at all of the genetic information that's encoded in the rice genome about 36 percent of it can be traced back to these non-coding regions an important part for agriculture is what they call diversity traits these are things that help encode important stuff or that separate it from wild rice these things that farmers over millennia have been emphasizing when they breed rice species And this has been found around 50% of those in this non-coding region, this region oft-dismissed as junk DNA. So these researchers set to work going through over 260 gigabytes of sequence data to try and figure out exactly what all these long non-coding RNA does to try and test, isolate, and study each of these different areas of the genome. And what they found is things like seed grain size things like starch content all these things that make it easier to plant and cultivate and harvest seeds of rice all of these are actually part of the genome in these non-protein coding sections this long RNA sections and that's incredibly interesting because now with a detailed model of all of these different sections of RNA and what they do it actually can help people then design even better rice. Because we now know how we can actually study and also adapt and change these particular pieces of RNA. Much in the same way as farmers have been doing for millennia, we now have a more detailed toolkit. So it's less guessing and more actually clear targeted developmental plan. Because it opens the doors for producing new crops and new grains through incredibly precise breeding. Now, the other implication of this study, some researchers in genomics are speculating that many of the adaptive differences that have evolved between groups of plants or animals, they're actually due to changes in gene regulation, which is what RNA does, rather than protein coding and protein evolution, which is what these other parts of the genome that we've been analysing do. And this is kind of a philosophical difference. For a long time, researchers have been focused on finding all these amazing things that protein and protein coding does in the genome. But that's not necessarily the complete picture. And this certainly certainly proves it. But whether or not which one of these is the more dominant is certainly up for debate. But this suggests that there's other parts of genomes that we could examine in other creatures, animals, plants, humans, you name it, that could show us different signs and different traits and the way they are controlled often potentially in this what has been previously dismissed as junk DNA so not only this is open some doors some fascinating doors for development of new rice species with higher yields and better production rates but also a different way to look at DNA in general and analyze all this often dismissed junk DNA that could in fact help to be part of how a certain trait that might be incredibly useful is expressed. This is some great research from the Chinese Academy of Agricultural Sciences, with lead author Xiaoming Zhen, along with Kunun Yang and Jun Li, along with researchers from University of St. Louis, Kenneth Olson, published in the Journal Science and An example of researchers actually using protein-coding DNAs to help boost rice yields just got another recently published paper outlined in The Plant Journal by researchers from the University of Hong Kong as well as the University of Calgary and Romsted Research in the UK. They've actually even gone to the extent of filing a patent. But Professor Xi, one of the lead authors on this study, actually identified a certain protein inside the rice, specifically creative of rice, or sativa. But basically, this protein, this encoding protein, actually helps boost grain size and weight of the rice and thus elevate grain yield by about 10 percent which is a pretty big boost when you think about it a 10 percent increase in yield of rice and the size of the rice grain is a is a pretty big deal in production it's not a game changer but it's certainly a hell of an incremental increase and it's this kind of things that is actually uh used quite a lot and researchers are continually finding new ways to breed new types of species that boost certain things either yield size or maybe resistance to crop. And in this case, they've done so by actually finding and overexpressing this certain gene, the OSA-CBB2 gene. And the purpose of this gene in particular is it helps create a lipid-binding protein that binds lipids such as acyl-CO esters. And that's quite important because that's a precursor for the seed oil. And oil production from rice is pretty important to a lot of different rice species so boosting the oil content in the rice helps improve the rice size and weight but also the yield of the rice itself too because the more presence of that oil helps it develop a larger crop yield now rice bran oil is also incredibly valuable so getting more oil out of the rice is incredibly important uh, because it helps add a lot of other health benefits to the rice like improving lowering cholesterol possessing having antioxidants and also other anti-carcinogenic and anti-inflammatory types of effects. So rice bran oil can be pretty handy and having something that boosts that is actually pretty useful. But this is an example of studying protein coding inside rice genes and changing and tweaking and enhancing it to get a better result. As we talked about earlier, this isn't the only avenue of progress, but it's things like this that will help improve the yields of all kinds of crops into the future. And it's exactly what we're going to need as our climate changes and our population increases, and we need to feed more and more of the planet more efficiently. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, The Junk DNA no longer in the rice genome, plus the ways we can help boost rice yields, as well as understand the roles of long non coding RNA in keeping rice alive. Our ending theme was composed by AudioNatics. Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.